Welcome back to the Falcons Pre-Prep Podcast, the place where we talk to staff, parents and some of the children about life at the school and in the community whilst we explore the world of early years learning. So let's step right into this episode of the Falcons Pre-Prep Podcast. Bethan Davies is a teaching assistant at Falcons Pre-Prep. She brings a wealth of knowledge and experience on the role of emotional well-being in children's education and development. Bethan will be telling us about laughter yoga, about the idea of gratitude, and about the very special role of Ziggy the French Bulldog in the lives of the children at Falcons Pre-Prep. So I'm joined today by Bethan Davies. Hello, Bethan. Hi there. Really good to meet you. Let's start by maybe if you could tell us your position at Falcons Pre-Prep. Tell us what you do at the school. Okay, so I am a teaching assistant. So I do lots of the, you know, standard teaching assistant things. I help the teacher, I do the playtimes, I help with lunches, but I also do a lot on well-being because I come from a well-being psychology background. So I do laughter yoga, I do gratitude, I bring my dog in for a therapy session. We do a lot on growth mindset. What else? We do an awful lot. We do mindfulness, meditation. So, yeah. Now, there's a lot there, and that's the sort of stuff I'm really looking forward to, to, to finding out more about. You mentioned your background there. Tell us a bit more about your journey, how you started out, what else you've done, and then what brought you to be there at Falcons? Well, so as a teenager, I was really, really fascinated with psychology and the brain, and I used to volunteer at a neuroscience hospital near where I lived. And I luckily got to meet Stephen Hawking there, which was fascinating. Yes. And then I went on to do a degree in psychology. I have various qualifications like art therapy, mindfulness coach, laughter yoga therapist. And from my degree, I went into the unit for children with autism. And from that, I went into the NHS. So your background in this area of study, in terms of the way we think and the way we feel, this is very much part of your career. Yes, absolutely. And I I love it. And I think it's so important to start young. And that's why part of the reason I came to this job, because they're boys. And as Mm -hmm. a lot of people know, males have a higher rate of suicide and mental health issues than females in the UK. And so starting them young to understand that they do need to give that time to their brain is really important, I think. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? We, we do hear this. We do hear about the difference in mental health between men and women, boys and girls. What is that all about? I think there's a few factors. One, I think the older generations, there was an awful lot of pressure on the male to provide this strong figure that they cannot be seen as weak, cannot be seen as someone that's upset or sad or worried or stressed. Mm. And there's this big view that that's a weakness when actually it's it's one of the hardest and strongest things you can do is talk about it and that shift needs to start happening and I think it's happening in the younger generations I've seen it right there's a huge stigma around mental health still when I left the sector I noticed it a lot there's still so even though you're working there with, with with young boys you feel equipping them with the means to look after themselves the means to take care of their mental health you think that'll bring them benefits as they grow into young men? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the, the old school boys don't cry. That has to stop. They talk about their feelings here. We have the zones of regulation, which is perfect. They talk about their feelings. They talk about how, 
you don't always have to be happy and what you can do if you're not happy. Mm-hmm. You know, these sort of things are starting really young here, which is amazing. Now, for those of us who maybe haven't heard of zones of regulation, tell us a little about that, perhaps. This is developed from an educational psychologist and mm-hmm. it's used in the school worldwide. Worldwide, it is worldwide, but I meant um, year-wide. And they children come in, they pick up their photos, they put their photo on the feelings. So in reception, we actually use the inside-out characters from Disney. Oh, right. Okay. So it's, yes, I remember that film. Yeah, so it's all different words. It's not just happy, sad. angry it's frustrated it's tired it's anxious it's labeling the feelings and they come in they put their face on where which feeling they are feeling and that can change throughout the whole day i see so rather than just a sort of binary of good bad happy sad you're encouraging them to explore a little bit more nuance to how they're feeling that's right I see. Now, you mentioned earlier quite a few different initiatives and methods that you use. Could we take a little bit of a closer look at those? Remind us again what methods and ideas you're bringing to the school. So I do laughter yoga. Right. Uh, Laughter yoga. Now, tell me about that, because straight away that sounds interesting. (laughs) So that was developed by a doctor in India, a consultant who who worked with people with severe pain, long-term conditions, and he noticed just off off the beat that the people that were laughing were feeling quicker or feeling less pain. And so he researched that and looked into all of the releases of serotonin and dopamine that come with laughter. Mm-hmm. And he found that even if you pretend to smile, pretend to laugh, you are still getting the benefits of that laughter. So he mixed that with yoga. So it's all about breathing because yoga actually means breathing. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about laughing and breathing to boost that serotonin, really. I see. And how do you actually bring this into the school? How do the boys at the school experience this when you run your, your laughter yoga sessions? So I do a club for all of the years and that's on a Monday. Mm -hmm. And then in the class that I'm in, I'm in reception. We do that once a week on a Friday. Okay. And what what do the boys think of it? I think they love it, actually. I get, <laughs> I get, you know, the parents will often stop me and say, oh, blah, blah, love this. He loves yeah. it so much. And sometimes I'm surprised, actually, because they don't always, you know, give it their all. They're tired at the end of the day for their club. but And so to hear that, even though they're not so, so uh, energetic in the club, and then they go home and say how wonderful it was. It's, it's lovely. <laughs> what did you do at school today, dear? Oh, I, I did laughter <laughs> yoga. That's fabulous. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds wonderful straight away. What was the next one you mentioned in terms of these ideas that you bring to Falcons Prep? Well, I do gratitude. Gratitude. Okay. Yeah. How, how does a gratitude session work? So it can be various different things. The older boys, I think, do uh, writing because it's, um, you know, they get asked a question about what are you grateful for today or what are you grateful for at home? What are you grateful for in the holidays? And they do that once a week, I think. And then, but in reception, we sometimes do it a bit more physical. So I'll ask them to draw something that they're mm-hmm. grateful for. But we th- sometimes think about really specific things. So like, what did daddy do that you are grateful for? What did he do this morning? Because we want to teach them that you don't always have to be grateful for the big things. It's the small things as well. I see. And what are the benefits of, of taking this time to consider the things we're grateful for? What does that what does that do for the boys? So that it changes the way they think. So mm-hmm. 
sometimes people may tend to go on the negative route or not be able to see the good in things and it builds resilience it builds a better academia actually there's a lot of research that shows teaching gratitude early on has Mm -hmm. a positive correlation with grades because they're happier because they've got a happier outlook and just recodes the brain to always think it's a bit like the growth mindset, you know, being resilient and being prepared to fail, that even though something might not always be going as you expect, you can always find something good in it. Right. So it's not telling the boys not to feel sad or, or, mm-hmm. or, or not to feel anything negative, but it's it's bringing something alongside that, is it? It's bringing some, some balance to things. Yes, exactly. Right. I see. Yeah. Okay. And what was the next thing you mentioned? I mentioned mindfulness. <laughs> Indeed. Now, mindfulness, that's something that a lot of us have heard a bit about, perhaps. But I, for one, am never quite sure exactly what it describes or exactly how it's used in schools. Uh, and I'd be keen to hear what you think of that. Yeah, so it's a practice of understanding yourself and how to be in the present. Mm-hmm. And the practices that we do help your brain stay in the present. So it helps anxiety because you're not thinking about tomorrow, you're not thinking about yesterday, you're not thinking about later on, you're Mm -hmm. thinking about what's happening right now. And so all the practices we do, you know, the breathing, we do breathing, we do balloon bubbles, we do uh, mindful eating. Yeah, so they blow up a bubble, a pretend bubble. Oh, right. And that's how they're helping themselves breathe through their tummies. And um, something I always say as well is that to breathe through your tummy if you're feeling anxious, because we often feel a lot of tension in our chest when, when anxiety comes. Mm. So I've been teaching them a lot to breathe through their, with their tummies. I see. And the, the benefit of that being? That it just releases the stress easier for them. Right. Okay. So mindfulness, some of us have come across it from an, um, an adult perspective, but when you're actually discussing mindfulness with these young children, what sort of questions or what sort of ideas are you actually putting to them? How, how are you phrasing things? So we, for example, a session would be, I want you to let go of everything that you've seen and heard today. And I want you to think about your heartbeat. So I'd ask them to feel their heartbeat mm-hmm. and breathe along with their heartbeat. And that brings them right to the present. Or another example is I'll ask them to feel their heartbeat lying down. Then we get up and start jumping and Mm. they'll feel their heartbeat again. And and it's faster. So it's all about the present observations. I see. Being conscious of of their own bodies and the way that their heart will speed up, slow down, depending on their activities, their feelings. Right. I see. And... How do the children receive this? We all know that some children, when asked to consider an idea, will will straight away do it. And others may be more restless or might might struggle to to slow down and, and consider ideas like this. What sort of reception do these mindfulness ideas have among the boys? Yeah, so that that's correct. We I do have a range of responses. Mm. And some boys just find it extremely difficult to be still. They cannot because their mind is racing, their mm. bodies are racing. So I ask them to remind their brains that it's time to relax and their brains need the rest and to try not to move their feet, try not to move their hands. And it takes practice. So I've been doing the club since September. And there's one boy in it who only in the last couple of weeks has managed to do it. But that is, you know, 45 minutes a week since September and it's taken this long. It's just about practicing because it is hard. Adults find it. In fact, the groups I've done with adults, adults find it harder than the children I've worked with to do this. 
Now, some people might think children should be running around, children should be excited, that the minds of children should be racing. What, what would you say to that? Why is this important? Why is this needed? A couple of things. I think that there's always something that's going to be worrying your child mm-hmm. because that's life and and that's okay. And Or even if they have this wonderfully perfect, not that I believe there's such thing, childhood, mm. in the future something can affect them. Mm-hmm. And equipping them with the skills to look after themselves as an adult from a young age mm. is really magnificent. And it can come in any point. You know, if you have a hospital appointment and you're nervous to go in to see the doctor, you can draw on your mindful skills. Or if you're about to go into an exam or you're moving house and you're feeling worried about that, you could just bring yourself to the present. And these are all the skills that we're teaching them. I see. So this isn't just about dealing with the here and now. This is giving children tools they can use as they grow. That's right. And I think that's a common misconception with mindfulness that it's, I've definitely come across people that think it's crystals and meditation and gongs. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) no, it's absolutely not. It's learning to, to harness the presence, learning to look after yourself when you need it. Right. Of course, we can, we can all benefit from that whatever age we are. Exactly. Now, Bethan, you did mention when we initially spoke something about a dog, and I'm yeah. fascinated by this. Tell me uh, about what role a dog plays in your work. I'd love to hear about this. So I have a wonderful French bulldog. Okay. And, no. uh, she, she is called Ziggy. Ziggy, okay. Yeah. And we rehomed her when she was two, and she was named after Ziggy Stardust from the previous owners. So we kept that along. So she is a therapy dog. I had to do various assessments to get her to that. So for example, she's not allowed to lick. She's not allowed to bark. She has to know that when she's on the lead, it's calm time. She's not allowed to take food without permission. So, And that took a lot of training, by the way, to... <laughs> If you drop a piece of food, she cannot get it. We have I to. didn't realise that the role of a therapy dog w- w- was quite defined like that then, certain behaviours yeah. and certain characteristics. I, I yeah. didn't appreciate that. I think it's because, you know, in a school it's a bit more of a relaxed setting, but if, you t- if I was to take her to a hospital, there's infection control. So you have to think of that side. So, yes, yeah, so she comes in and there's two sides of it. There's the sensory side and the calming down side of stroking a dog lying with the dog there's a few children that like to just come and lie next to her for a few minutes and that really grounds them really helps them with their behavior through the day and then we also have her as a reading dog which again there's a huge amount of research about reading to dogs wow yes that they are a non-judgmental source and so therefore the reading age goes up alongside the reading to a dog and we, we do have a boy that will not read to the teachers, but he will read to Ziggy. This is wonderful. So, so tell us yeah. how this works, because this sounds wonderful, but I'd love to know a little about why. What is the benefit of bringing a, a dog like Ziggy to the school? How does the actual science work behind the, the bringing the benefits to, to the children's lives and the children's learning? So on the sensory side, it is, it's just that it's the sensory of touching, it's the sensory of moving. Again, it's actually quite a mindful experience because uh, similar to having a cup of tea, I suppose, it's a self-regulatory action. Mm. And that's what they do with Ziggy. They stroke her, they uh, feed her, 
And it's just a section of their day where they're outside the lessons. They completely relax. Again, with the non-judgmental source, which I think is the most important aspect, is that, you know, she can't tell them to go away. She can't say, oh, you're wrong. She can't say, you need to be quieter. She's a non-judgmental thing that just accepts them. So in, in the reading context, then, if I'm, if I'm a, a, a small child, I'm reading a book to an adult, a teacher, a parent, there's, I suppose, always the idea that have I got this right? Will I be yes. corrected? Will my teacher or my parent steer me? If I'm reading a book to Ziggy, Ziggy will just listen and appreciate yeah. the time with me. Yeah. So in the sessions, I say to the boys, okay, so remember, Ziggy can't read. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you can read whatever you like to her. And you can tell her about the pictures. And then I pretend to go on my laptop and work. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then she's there sat next to them and they're, they're reading the books to her. And I'd love to know what, what the children think of this. What, what's their opinion? How do they feel about being given this opportunity to read books to Ziggy and spend time with Ziggy? They adore it. I am very well liked and it's not because of me it's because I bring the dog in so <laughs> they are <laughs> I'm always saying where's Miss Davies where's Miss Davies and they come and find me like when is Ziggy coming <laughs> and <laughs> yeah and she also goes into nursery actually which she goes into the two-year-olds and when they they were transitioning into the school for the first time ever. And bear in mind, they were coronavirus babies as well. Never having left their parents, never being in a group setting. She was, when the day she was in there, there was far less crying. They settled much quicker because they came over and just stroked her. Wonderful. You mentioned coronavirus there. I'd love to get your opinion on, on what impact that has had on this very young age bracket for children. How has it affected their learning, their development? I think it, it hugely. I think this school was amazing at the learning mm -hmm. side of things. I think 100% that I don't think any children are necessarily behind here because of how well we orchestrated that. Mm. But the side of things that, you know, the school had no control over, like social and emotional, that right. has hugely impacted. So when you think about the children in year two have never had a normal year at school. Gosh, right, no, of course. Yeah, that, it's quite fascinating. And, you know, sharing, playing, self-regulation, emotional understanding, all of that is something that really needed to be worked on once they came back to school, which is, which is what we try to do, but at 100% it's affected them. So these ideas that you bring to school, these activities, be they spending time with Ziggy, be they laughter, yoga, be they gratitude, I, I, can, I can hear the value of them at any time but it feels like in this particular place in history where we are right now, the role of ideas like this and opportunities like this sounds particularly valuable. Yes, I think it is. And I think anything that can help them with their mental health, help them with the trauma mm. that it's gone through, because that's the other thing, you know, we're not, we haven't really accepted yet that that was a trauma. That right. the pandemic was a trauma for everybody because everything changed. Yes, yes. And... It's the same for them. You know, they went from going to school every day to never seeing their friends mm. and seeing their teachers every day. And then all of a sudden they're on the screen. And so everything we do here is hugely beneficial for helping them bounce back from that. Do you think these ideas and, and practices are growing? Do you think these will over the, the years to come, we'll be seeing more of these in, in all schools? 
Yes, I think so. I think I'm I'm pretty sure that gratitude is soon to be in the national curriculum and because of the benefits of to do with grades and mental health and all of the research to do with gratitude in America is huge because they do it a lot in schools over there. Really? Um yeah, which is amazing and at the moment I think a lot of it is mainly happening in private schools. Right. And then soon into state schools that will trickle through as well. Is there any advice that a parent could bear in mind whether their child has particular issues around anxiety or perhaps not? Is there any value in them bringing some of these ideas that you're expounding upon here into their home lives? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of things online that are great. There's a Mindful Yeti. Mindful Yeti? Yeah, so that's a Yeti on YouTube. It's mm-hmm. free and they, they run mindful five-minute mindfulness sessions. Okay. There's a lot of resources on um, the Anna Freud Center website. Again, there's lots of things. So I actually put it into their homework to do mindfulness over the holidays. So it can be very simple. It can be just a five-minute, one thing a day, like five things I hear, four things I see, three things I smell, two things I feel, and one thing I taste. Right. So those ideas don't have to be complex, don't have to be difficult in order to take that little bit of time. To, to bring that way of thinking into things. Exactly. Bethan, you've really helped us understand more there about the role of ideas like mindfulness, like gratitude, like laughter yoga, and of course, Ziggy the French Bulldog. <laughs> it's been wonderful learning about not only the role that these ideas play at Falcon's pre-prep, but in the lives of children in general. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us. Well, thank you. It's been lovely to talk about it. That was Bethan Davies, teaching assistant at Falcons Pre-Prep and expert in mindfulness, laughter yoga and gratitude. Along with her dog Ziggy, Bethan helps the children of Falcons Pre-Prep to keep happy and healthy. Thank you, Bethan. That's it for this episode. To find out more, check out the school website falconschiswick.co.uk. Now, our next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.